Welcome to People More Interesting Than Me, the podcast, where I step back and let fascinating individuals take the spotlight. Join me as I sit down with incredible guests who captivate and inspire, showcasing their stories, experiences, and wisdom that make them truly extraordinary. Tune in for engaging conversations that'll leave you enlightened and entertained. I mean, at least I'm entertained. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of conversing with a visionary leader, Yalmar van der Buchwal, the founder of a groundbreaking vertical farm nestled in the heart of Denmark. Our guest has cultivated an innovative approach to agriculture, challenging traditional farming methods with a sustainable and futuristic solution. We'll uncover the seeds of inspiration behind the vertical farm's inception. From hydroponics to aeroponics, Yalmar has embraced cutting-edge methods to grow crops efficiently and sustainably, all within the confines of a vertical space. Our guest is on a mission to address food security, reduce environmental impact, and create a more resilient and efficient food system. This story is one of resilience, innovation, and a commitment to a greener future for generations to come. Enjoy. That's what I liked about the ramen. Like you could kind of go, like you could put some sriracha on it or you could just make it as normal or you could throw in some creamy chicken. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also eat a lot of uh, ramen uh, though. Uh, make them a lot with the with the sprouts or with the mushrooms that we are growing as well yeah you guys do is i know you guys i saw that you guys do bean sprouts and obviously that's a that's a big thing with uh uh ramen dishes i guess we can dig into that so how did you get started into the uh uh and vertical farming isn't the correct term what's the best term for what you guys do well, well, yeah, it is vertical farming, um, or it's also called the CEA, Con- uh, Controlled Environment Agriculture. Um, it's uh, it's pretty much what we do, yeah. Okay, and that's, and when I when I hear that, I think of like uh, I know this is being like romanticized, but like the post-apocalyptic, like the Matrix, like where. Yeah everyone's inside it's a nuclear holocaust and everybody's growing food inside because they can't do it outside yeah it sure uh, gives uh, gives you some uh, food stability uh, you know you can make uh, produce uh, year round with the with the same uh, uh, environmental conditions you know you that you are able to control so yeah that's what makes uh, one of the advantages for sure yeah and what made I guess what made uh, you guys start to get into it? like what was the driver for that? Yeah, um, actually, uh, I have two partners in the company, uh, and uh, one of the partners that I'm that I'm working with, uh, we have been friends since we were like uh, I think twelve or thirteen years old, and uh, we had uh, been friends for a lot of years, and uh, then we started uh, working together in a different company that also sold uh, equipment to the greenhouses and the horticultural industry. And uh, we uh, we worked in that company for some years, um, and then we decided to take uh, some of uh, all the equipment that we that we sell, 
take that and and start using it ourselves. Uh, and from there, it, it uh, kind of escalated into uh, the business that we have today. So that's like uh, how it uh, it started. That we got like uh, a little test set up, and um, we had uh, we had all the equipment, and we could easily get uh, all the seats and get uh, get started very easily. So and from there, we, it was just um, we got the, the third partner on board from there, and we were and he's. Um, um, had a good way in to to get some customers. Um, uh, the last partner here in the business, he is uh, a chef, and has been a, a gourmet chef and has a very broad uh, network within this industry. So it was very uh, ideal for us to have him uh, join us and and help us uh, get started. No, that's great. So, yeah, that was kind of like how it, the idea of the company started. Okay, and to to a person who doesn't, I guess, who is completely. I don't know, detached from something like that. They would say, yeah. why, why, why take farming inside? Like, why, why, uh, take away? Like, you've got the free sun. You've got, let's just say, the soil. I mean, the soil can always be hit or miss, but why, mm. why bring it inside? Yeah, it was. Um, um, well, here in Denmark, the climate uh, can be. Uh, the seasons are, are very shifting. Uh, we have. Um, it's very cold when you get from like um, September, October, all the way until uh, I would say roughly May. Um, it's too cold to uh, to grow uh, anything outside with uh, with nice results. So you have like um, you have maybe four or five months uh, where you can grow uh, produce. Uh, and the way we do it and, and what we grow is it would only be possible for a couple of months uh, over the year of course you can do it in a greenhouse but uh, it's uh, it re it requires a, a, a hefty uh, initial investment that we that we didn't have so doing it uh, in doing it inside uh, in a in a vertical setup made sense for us because you know we we maximize uh, the production space within that confined area and you can do it uh, relatively uh, cheap uh, starting up I think our test setup didn't cost much more than a couple hundred dollars, so um, it was very easy for us to get started. And of course, doing it inside, we had the, the same um, uh, cultivation uh, conditions uh, all year round, so we were able to have like the perfect temperature, the perfect humidity, and CO two, and um, and doing watering as well as as optimal as it could be. Um, so that was um, one of the of the main drivers for for starting it the way we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah that seems like it's really good once you have it going. Like yeah. once you have like the like the I guess whatever you decide on first growing, like you were saying the sprouts, mm -hmm. and you've got your. I would imagine it's a very small drip irrigation type style. Yeah, like for the water and then your sunlight ever as long as you keep it going it it would probably be amazing because you guys are kind of like the gods in the room if that makes yeah, sense yeah, you're if, controlling the sun yeah. you're yeah, controlling the weather in, in yeah. A way, yeah what i was going to say in that is how good is that especially in your area how good is that for the restaurants what i imagined and i i didn't look at this myself specifically um like new york city like, I would imagine that, like, for example, if someone set up a huge vertical type garden in, let's say, New York City, all mm -hmm. these like big restaurants and stuff like that could 
in theory set up um kind of like a infrastructure system like if they're like like you like we were talking about before ramen like bean sprouts is a like a like a big thing in there and Mm -hmm. getting those um from big trucks even i don't know like 50 miles out which is probably what they're doing now or getting them um refrigerated all the way there I mean, mm-hmm. it probably degrades the quality somehow. Is that something like that you guys are working with restaurants right now? Yeah, for sure. And that was also one of the um, one of the reasons for starting the company is because uh, the, the third partner that I talked to about that uh, was a chef before he joined. Uh, he was um, really uh, annoyed that uh, <laughs> some of the um, of the produce that they got it came from. Uh, uh, well beyond uh, a thousand miles uh, of, uh, of from where it was used in their kitchen so it was coming from France or it was coming from sometimes Africa or all the mm-hmm. all over places in, in Europe and it was like this doesn't make sense at all uh, and uh, and we showed him well we're actually able to grow a lot of what you need uh, right here in this little room um, and it was like uh, an eye-opener because why um this is a big issue as well the the thing regarding uh, food miles uh we we need to try to be more uh, locally uh, producing uh, and and thereby more sustainable uh, in our production and and logistic um so that was also one of the reasons for starting the company to have uh, more of a, a local product that can be be used um, by the professional kitchens and and private homes as well uh, but have a, a local and, and much more sustainable uh, product to uh, to provide. No, that's great. And I would imagine, I mean, not buying outside of the country, obviously, you're, you're helping promote local businesses and stuff like that. But you're also, I mean, you guys are probably avoid or the kitchens are probably avoiding like numerous issues and shortages. It's not like you guys are going to have you know, like a drought no, 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 <laughs> or exactly. uh, anything like that. You guys are going to have steady supplies. Yeah. And the other big thing is they don't have to pay. I, I don't know. It's probably not that much on a bulk scale, but import fees, like stuff getting over the border, like the logistics mm-hmm. of getting from point A to point B for a lot of these products that you guys can produce there. Yeah, it gives uh, a lot more stability for sure. And um, our customers and, and wholesalers uh, really, uh, really enjoy that because, um, well, just as uh, late as uh, last, last couple of weeks, uh, there has been um, a shortage in, in supply of uh, one of the products that we make on like uh, on a national scale because they get they still do get a lot from uh, from abroad. Um, so and, and they had a bad harvest this year. So uh, all of a sudden, it's not possible to get the the same quantities uh, as uh, as usual from abroad. So we are able to come in and fill that gap um, a lot, uh, and our our customers really enjoy that. That's great. Well, and we keep on mentioning bean sprouts. What are some of the like? Can you give me like a variety of stuff that you guys have done so yeah. far? Yeah, uh, the the things uh, we have like. Uh, Maybe 20 different kinds of uh, sprouts and microgreens, and we have some different herbs. Uh, and yeah, we also have the mushrooms, but a lot of uh, the, the top selling um, microgreens and sprouts would be uh, pea shoots. It would be sunflowers. 
Uh, we have uh, three different kinds of uh, radish that also sells very well. Um, we have um, cilantro, uh, carrot sprouts, cucumber sprouts, uh, fennel sprouts, um, something called uh, nasturtium. Uh, is uh, also a, a spicy crust. Um, we have uh, different kinds of mustards. We have uh, um, what do you call it? Something that has like a, a little bit of a bitter taste. Um, we have something called shiso, something called uh, amaranth that is like a, a red bean uh, sprout, um, beet sprouts. Um, what else? Um, yeah, different kinds of uh, of herbs. As well for sure sage um no that's a lot cilantro again um uh dill yeah that's uh, that's a lot that's really a lot um but uh, you know it's it's uh, important to have like um a big uh, assortment of uh, of goods that you can make um and the customers also like that uh, that we keep on developing and uh, we keep on adding uh additions to to what we already supply at the moment we're also testing out uh, different kinds of uh, edible flowers for uh, a lot of our gourmet customers that really love that because uh, edible flowers is easy to get in the summer but as soon as it comes to uh, autumn uh, fall uh, winter and, and early spring um, you can't get it from almost anywhere so um, there's a there's still a big need in the market for it. So they also get that from abroad. And it, it just doesn't really make sense because we can make it um, much more uniform, um, stable quality, steady supply uh, right here uh, locally. No, that's great. Um, and all the, the plants you mentioned, and obviously you guys are always doing, like you said, R&D and trying to expand. Yeah. Um, what, if you can kind of set out, I know... Obviously, you mentioned all um, like all the herbs, all these, and I'm I'm I don't eat fancy, so there's a lot of stuff. Like I I eat at a normal restaurant, but I would never be at a a five star unless it was my birthday, you know, like one of those yeah, nice yeah. events. But like, what's your next, I guess, level up of what you guys are trying to do? Because I know I saw stuff that you also are setting up other people's. Like maybe you guys are too far away. You're setting up maybe a micro um, greens area for some restaurants or something like that. I saw like their own setup, their own farm. Yeah, yeah, we do some uh, different kinds of systems as well. Um, um, yeah, we do it in in different ways. Uh, let me explain it a bit. Uh, for example, we have uh, some franchises. We have uh, another franchise within our country. Uh, in uh, right outside of the capital because there's a huge demand in the capital um, and um, he's able to help us fill that and it's not nearly enough um, but um, and then we also have um, uh, franchises abroad uh, to uh, because we have had people um, in other countries uh, asking for our products as well and we were like okay but that kind of uh, destroys <laughs> or yeah it interferes with our ide ideology of being local so we would rather try to set up a production uh, where the, the, the needs are of the customers so that's why we also have some uh, franchises abroad but yeah we also do these uh, different kinds of systems um, uh, it, depending on what the customer wants um, but uh, we do uh, we give them the possibility to have a, a hyper local production. So, for example, we have uh, customers that are very big canteens 
that uh, makes food every day for thousands of uh, employees. And uh, they have a, a very big need for uh, herbs, salads, microgreens, uh, mushrooms, you name it. Um, and then we have um, have shown them this uh, different kinds of systems that we can uh, easily uh, implement in their canteen. And they have been like, okay, that's really great. So um, they we've in the beginning we did it more as a as a test, uh, but uh, it was a, a great success. So um, the customers uh, would um, would love that we kept on doing that, and we have uh, then added on a lot of uh, different uh, places uh, to to those uh, systems as well. So we have big canteens that uh, we just come and do service on the systems, and we supply them with seeds and we have shown the employees how to grow them and how to start them and and other systems we have that we just come on every week and we fill up the system and they all they do is just cut it when it's ready um so yeah that's uh, the the two different ways that we do that but then that's make sure that they have a, a, a nice clean uh, uniform quality of uh, of produce that they can uh, serve to their to their employees on on a daily basis yeah. So with all that you just said, it sounds like a that you guys, um, the need is there everywhere. And it's a matter of that you guys are trying to get the I guess, I wouldn't say uh, real estate, but like the maybe maybe the real estate to do what the need is right now. And I bet mm -hmm. scheduling is probably one of the most essential things. Like, for example, mm -hmm. you get a customer and they say, I don't know what the quantity is, but let's say we need 200 pounds of sprouts by this date. And you're like, oh, mm -hmm. we should have, like, if we're going to do this, we have to plant today. Is that like? Yeah, yeah sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it can be a bit tricky because there's, uh, of course, a, a delay from um, from when they order. Uh, like uh, if they order huge amounts, uh, there's um, there can be a delay in, in what we are able to deliver. But um we we are kind of calculate and estimate uh, that oh we have uh, seasons that we know are, are very busy for example at the moment uh, we are super busy at the moment because um uh, for new year's eve there's um so many um, caterers and restaurants and hotels here in denmark that um, that deliver a lot to to guests on on new year's it's very common to go out and eat uh, for new year's whether it's uh, steaks or sushi or or fish or whatever people want. There's, uh, you know, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve is kind of like a, a little extra uh, regarding um, the dining experience here in Denmark. So a lot of people opt to uh, to uh, make it a little more fancy and um, show uh, the food in a, in a nice and presentable way. And uh, we we often are are very busy uh, in in that regard uh, because. Uh, a lot of uh, the restaurants they have um, for example if a, a restaurant maybe in a night they deliver make food for 50 people on new year's eve they maybe do catering for 500 so uh, there's a lot of, uh, of extra production for that particular day and we have to have all the different products ready to be delivered uh, on the same day so yeah it's kind of tricky in regarding to the growth schedule um, I know, of course, by heart how long all the different things take to make, but uh, we just need to to make sure that everything is uh, on point for for New Year's. So it's uh, it's a bit tricky, yeah, uh, in uh, in regard to amount. So 
uh, we had all the places tell us uh, actually by 1st of December. Um, we said, uh, if you don't know it now, how much you need, I won't be able to guarantee that you can get it. So, um, of course, some things I, I make uh, at uh, maybe around the 15th or maybe even the 20th of December, because some of them don't take so long. But um, yeah, um, then we just say that if you want this particular product, I need to know it. For example, I need I'm making some things today that are for New Year. So if I don't know, have the, the, the order by today, I'm not guaranteeing that the, the customer can get it. Then they have to uh, choose something different. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. So how has your, I, I would imagine just like anyone puts in so many hours to something mm -hmm. and obviously it's your own business. So this question probably applies more to you, but mm -hmm. how has your, how, how do I phrase this? How does your understa understanding of these seeds, has it mm -hmm. gotten much more in depth? Like from what I, what I mean by that is like, um, we'll just use the bean sprouts as an example. Like this is our strain, like this strain of bean sprout. I can trust, like you get to, yeah. you've grown it probably mm. like 12 different times. Like, mm. like it's, it's your, it's your, uh, I, I don't know how to phrase it, but you trust it. This is yeah. like something that, you know, in and out. And then when you start something new, it's like, you're meeting someone for like the first time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, is that yeah, kind of sure. the perspective you have on, I guess, growing? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's been, uh, it was, uh, of course, mostly in, in the beginning and, and the first two years maybe, but uh, there has been a lot of uh, split testing and um, um, testing out what the, yeah, for example, we have um, just gotten a new batch of uh, mustard seeds and they're behaving a little different from uh, the last one that I have. So uh, that is uh, an issue sometimes that we have like um, the seeds can vary much in quality uh, because um, of their the seed harvest from um, from that particular product uh, it could be uh, uh, very different. Um, for example, uh, the ones that we have now they grow a little quicker than the ones that uh, did before, and uh, that can. Uh, uh, it can kind of mess up production a little bit. Also, if the seeds is not as uh, high quality than it was uh, before, uh, maybe just like uh, if the sprouting percentage can be just a couple of percentages down, it can have like a impact on on end product to to the customer. So we also always when we get in new seeds, I, I do test them all uh, like. Um, like I usually would have grown them to see if it's the same product that uh, can be made with the same end results in the same way. And if not, um, what do I need to to change to to make it uh, a good a product as possible, as good as possible. And sometimes I even I even send uh, the seeds uh, return. I return them because uh, they don't live up to my quality standards. Man, I've never heard of returning seeds like, hey, these seeds, these are bad. It sounds like, uh, what's that uh, fable? Uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. These are bad seeds. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We do, we do still get that sometimes, but we, of, of course, we are in in, co in close contact with uh, all our suppliers in in the seed department, and um, yeah, they're very understanding. If we're like, hey, we don't like these, they just okay, just return them, and we'll send some new uh, tests for you, so you can see what works uh, as good as possible for you. 
because we we do order a lot of seeds i would say we order maybe well we don't order less than a ton of seeds per time for sure so uh, sometimes it's even plus uh, 10 uh, 10 tons of seeds so it's a uh, uh, yeah one ton is uh, 2000 pounds so uh, it's a lot of a lot of seeds for sure we were we were talking about the environmental how you guys are like the gods of mm. growing the stuff like that yeah. how how big of a deal like do you guys have a very uh good backup system like electronically um like if the power goes out do you have a generator stuff like that well of course there is a, there's different things you can do um we don't for, for example we don't have a a, a generator uh, luckily in our region we we never have blackouts the the power supply is uh, it's really stable if you have blackouts it's usually our own fault because we are <laughs> trying to do something different with electronics or put power into something new uh, for example when we do expansion sometimes we have had blackouts but uh, it's usually up and running again within a couple of hours so it's it, that, that doesn't make a, a make it a big hassle but uh, yeah for example here uh, we have some um, uh, what can we say plan b's or uh, backup systems for example uh, right now there's uh, it's a lot of heavy snow here in denmark i think we have like uh, uh, in inches it would be like 5 to 6 inches of snow everywhere uh, it's and it just came like overnight mm -hmm. and it uh, of course it makes the temperature drop outside so we've um, and it makes the entire farm a little bit cooler uh, with the snow. So we have been uh, forced to turn up the heat uh, in the production uh, just by a couple of degrees uh, to have make sure that we have the, the same temperature and humidity inside the production. Man. So, um, and does that does that ever affect your bottom line? Like, let's say you have a winter season where, let's say, the last three months was two degrees higher, but that obviously that's going to be a lot more energy costs for that heating yeah. do you have yeah. to obviously compensate that for um like what you're selling i would imagine yeah yeah um at the moment we have been able uh, for some time ago we locked in uh, on our energy cost price where we had we were in talk with our energy supplier and we're able to uh, secure a price for uh, for uh, some time, so it's not really uh, an issue. But the, the the prices can of course uh, fluctuate and and vary from time to time depending on seasons and well uh, inflation. And uh, here in in Northern Europe, there was an, an energy crisis uh, at a for some time because of uh, war in Ukraine uh, infected energy prices. Um, but at at that time, we had locked in that price for the next uh, two years, so it didn't really affect us, luckily. But uh, there was a lot of people going out of business, uh, and uh, because the energy costs really like uh, almost tenfolded, so it, it was crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, prices can vary and be a, a cost that uh, goes up and down in in our um, estimates. But um, we are. We are pretty lucky that we were able to secure a locked price for two years, for example. Um, but other than that, it can for sure be a, a higher cost in in the winter where we have to use uh, more heating. Yeah, yeah. No. We, we had it, we have it as a principle that we only use uh, certified green power. So it's um, in Denmark. There's a lot of wind power uh, from uh, windmills. 
and uh, there's a lot of solar power as well so when we buy um, electricity and energy um, we make sure that it only comes from uh, certified green uh, power so that's trying that's our way of trying to combating the issue of um, energy being a big factor in uh, in north farming okay and have you guys this might be a stupid question because i don't know your region but no. uh have you guys ever thought of make i, I think i looked at uh the the, where you guys are operating out of have you guys ever thought of using solar panels or anything there to make your yeah. own power yeah we really want to do that um it's just like uh, it's a investment that we are not uh, focusing on at the moment but maybe within one year two years perhaps it will be um, it will be uh, something that we dedicate finances to invest in for sure that or uh, a windmill yeah Okay, that makes complete sense. And obviously, that obviously uh, depends on mm. uh, the environment, what time of year, um, and what type of, I guess, heat. Like, I, w mm. I would imagine that sometimes, I guess, uh, what you need at the moment, like, for example, right now, when you guys are uh, cranking at it, like, like you said, for the holidays, mm. you, I would imagine you use the most energy now than you do any other part of the year. Is that sort of true? Yeah, of course. Um, there are high season here in in the winter because of uh, Christmas and Christmas dinners is like a tradition here in Denmark, and we do a lot of that as well. But uh, Christmas uh, and and fall is uh, usually high season, and then uh, spring. Um, there, right after New Year's, it kind of goes down a little bit in the sales. So uh, and then it picks up again in in spring and summer um but yeah we do more at the moment than we do like um a month from now for sure it's a little easy in, in january and february but um yeah it goes up and down like uh all i think a lot of businesses have that issue so is this where you guys imagined uh you would be when you first started out like uh yeah both yes and no uh, i would say because when we started the business uh, we were um, really focusing on that we want to be a, a, a gourmet caterer um, and delivering to uh, some of the finest uh, kitchens uh, uh, and and biggest places that there is here back here in denmark and uh, we we have done that successfully i would say for sure uh, but we also do a lot of um, produce to uh, small places and not so fancy places and private people and schools and uh, universities and a lot of uh, different kinds of setups for a lot of different kinds of customers. So it has uh, uh, we're reaching out a little more than I originally thought that we would be. But uh, it doesn't uh, matter, and we don't mind at all. We're just happy that uh, as many people as uh, possible enjoy our product. No, that's great. And are you guys, so looking, I guess, further into the future, what, what does, I guess, your expansion look like? Is it like mm -hmm. you guys have more satellite sites, like larger satellite sites at larger cities, like, I guess, not just across the country, but across Europe? What does that look like to you guys? Yeah, for example, uh, some of the goals that we have for uh, for twenty four um, is uh, for sure that um, that we want to um, focus more on our. Uh, we have um, 
we have one other franchise here in Denmark and we want to help them grow much more. And uh, we have franchises in um, in Austria and in the uh, Czech Republic that we also want to help grow uh, more. And we are going to be setting up um, uh, hopefully uh, a new production as well in uh, in either Germany or uh, Poland uh, next year to uh, meet demand uh, abroad because we don't really want to uh, we don't really want to send this abroad from here we must rather have a production abroad that can supply locally and um, then we are hopefully doing that by this time next year um, because we have um, one of our wholesalers here in Denmark is big international wholesalers and he wants to take our products uh, abroad and we were like okay yeah we can do that together um, and he wants to maybe start in Germany and Germany would be a, a huge market for us uh, there's um, just as many vegetarians and vegans in Germany as uh, there, there's actually more than there are people uh, in Denmark hmm. so it's a, it's a great potential for sure um and um yeah we we also have uh, different products that we want to keep focusing on for example uh, there's a, a product coming up in uh, in norway with uh, a guy that wants to grow um, strawberries indoor vertically and uh, we have said that we would gladly help him because we have actually helped uh, uh, build uh, and install uh, and done the consulting on um uh, the largest uh, indoor uh, vertical strawberry farm in Europe uh, is placed uh, just a little outside London, where it's um, a little over 3,000 uh, square meters um, and it's uh, 10 meters, uh, maybe 12 meters in height, but it's uh, 14 layers uh, of growing uh, strawberries on, on 3,000 square meters. So yes, it's pretty big. That sounds awesome. That yeah. sounds like such a good uh, advertisement piece too. That, yeah, oh. yeah, sure. Sure it was. Would you say that's like your biggest advertisement piece? It sounds like the large, well, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's definitely the largest uh, setup that we helped build uh, until now. We have some some other pretty big uh, vertical farms uh, in, in the books that we are helping doing consulting on and, and are going to help install. But uh, it has been, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's also just one of the biggest indoor vertical farms that there are currently in Europe so it's sure it's something that we were very proud of helping on um but there's gonna we're gonna see a lot of more vertical farms uh, in the future that's for sure this is gonna sound like a stupid question maybe it is how important is it the setups that you guys do outside of your office or shop or or farm mm -hmm. have to be aesthetically pleasing yeah uh, it, it doesn't really uh I would don't focus on that. I would say about making it uh, in, in the aesthetics of it, making it look good. Um, when you you come into a, a firm of that setup, no matter how it's built, uh, I think it just looks uh, rather impressive. When you're mm -hmm. standing and and you're looking ten meters up in the sky, uh, up in in the roof in the building, and there's just planes everywhere, all around you. It's uh, I mean, it's a pretty unique thing to see. That's that's great. I mean, how often do you get hit by a strawberry, right? yeah yeah exactly <laughs> just falling down on you no that doesn't happen a lot oh but, uh, that would be cool though yeah, yeah yeah for sure but yeah outside of a vertical farm you you would never uh, experience that or just looking up and there's growing salads uh, 10 meters above you yeah it's like what the fuck is going on no that's yeah, great it's really crazy 
what is one of the biggest lessons you've learned since you guys started? Yeah, I think uh, one of the, the things that maybe surprised me the most is how much food we actually throw out. Uh, you know, we're in in close communication with uh, uh, a lot of uh, big places like uh, big canteens or big caterers or very big wholesalers. And there's just uh, so much food waste. Uh, you you wouldn't believe it almost. Um, it's uh, it's really crazy to see. So that is definitely one of the things that have surprised me the most. So we we try to make sure that we have a, a very lean production. Uh, so I always kind of know how much uh, produce I'm going to make. Uh, we make sure that we get a lot of orders in and we have everything we need for the orders. And maybe we do a little extra just uh, in case there's somebody who, who wants to... Um, or some people, a restaurant that's busy over the weekend that's coming, hey, uh, I need uh, some extra boxes for for the weekend. So we make sure that we always have that. Um, luckily, the way we produce, um, uh, it has a very long shelf life because when we deliver it, the, the plants are still alive and um, the chefs cut them right before that they're going to use them. And in that way, they also remain as much uh, taste and uh, nutritional uh, profile as, as possible. And um, on cool, uh, the the growth of the plants kind of just stops, or is uh, um, it's at a halt. Um, so it uh, makes the produce uh, uh, have a very long shelf life when it's in the fridge. So if we can see that, okay, we are a little uh, ahead of schedule at the moment, I can kind of um, make it make it up in the other end by not producing as much for the next couple of weeks. So um, we're able to keep uh, a, a rather lean production, I would actually say. Um, normally, you speak about when you're a production company or in a production company in the food sector, ten um, percent waste or less is uh, is very acceptable and it's considered good. Uh, I would say that we even have uh, less than five percent waste, maybe three, four percent when it's. Uh, when we are unlucky, but uh, we don't have so much waste. And uh, I really like that about our production, that we don't throw out a lot of goods. And even if we have surplus uh, produce that we can't get uh, get sold, we have uh, different systems here in Denmark that is, um, for example, something called stop waste locally. And you just uh, go in and you say, hey, we, we unluckily we have too much produce at the moment that can get sold. And then someone comes out, picks it up, and then they give it out to... Um, families and and private people that are uh, yeah, what can I say living uh, below their means or don't have uh, so much money or possibilities to go out mm -hmm. and buy fresh new and and good produce so um, in that way when we are overproducing uh, which i would say we're not doing that so much luckily but uh, then we have uh, people that still can you know enjoy the produce that that was going to be my question that if you guys were um if you had stuff that was not going to go bad, but you had no, um, I guess, somebody picking it up or yeah. a contract with them that you had yeah. at least, you know, like somebody that could uh, benefit from that. I think this will be my last technical question. I think I saw recently, maybe last six months or a year, but it was an automated like system where you had something um, like a 3D not a 3D printer, but a 3D printer's, you know, mechanical access where it was able to monitor the plants. It was able to plant the seeds. It was able to water the plants. 
are you mm-hmm. guys looking into getting a somewhat automated system that's kind of doing from seed to kind of uh, uh, harvest? I would say both yes and no. Um, uh, the way we started the company was that it had uh, like a, a much, uh, uh, a, I would say, a rather low-tech approach, um, doing a lot of it manually and doing a lot of it by yourself. By and that in in that sense, we kept cost down. Um, because when you want to integrate the automated solutions or uh, monitoring or uh, special uh, specialized drones to fly within the, the farm and monitor uh, crops and uh, or just cameras, um, sensors uh, and whatnot, of course, it can help you in, in the process when you are doing it at, at a, a very big scale. But uh, at the moment, we're only like uh, we're doing like a much uh, much uh, smaller setups than uh, than that don't really require that uh, specific uh, automation. Uh, maybe we will do it in the future when we have like um, uh, beyond uh, ten thousand square meters. But at the moment, we have like uh, uh, only a couple thousand square meters. So it's still a lot of space because we also use it vertically. But um, it's not uh, it's not something that uh, is is rather needed for uh, the, the crops that we are growing um we we have these grow schedules these systems and we know all these processes by heart so i know that if there's something that's fucking up in my production it's it's probably the seed uh, the mm-hmm. quality of the seeds actually because i know it has to run if i run it like this it's gonna come out perfect every time uh, and if it's not, if it's not, then I have to look. Okay, are some of my systems, uh, some of my schedules that needs to be changed, or have it not uh, gotten the water at the correct timing, or is the temperature a bit off? Maybe, uh, and then I would go in the production and look at that. We have some sensors in the in the production for sure, monitoring uh, temperature and humidity and and regulating that. But um, regulating it is uh, is still done manually because it's just easy. To, you know, we just have a remote that just goes uh, click and uh, the temperature is uh, regulated. But um, in the future, maybe we will have self-regulating monitors that we that we program. But it's not uh, it's not so yeah it's not so important for us. Uh, yeah, especially most, since we have things, so much going. Yeah, most things we have in our production. Uh, is is out within two or three weeks. That's a very quick turnover. Some some herbs are only one week from when I start them to when they are sold. So it's a, a very quick uh, turnover. Um, so it's not really much. Yeah, because you can see the changes uh, visually from day to day. So um, it's not really necessary to have a big. Uh, Big uh, setups installed regarding monitoring and and regulation. It's it's very easy at at the at the things we do, I would say. Okay. No, For example, that's... if you have like uh, crops that uh, need to grow in in your in your CEA uh, setup um, for months, it would be have it would be nice to have something um, looking at uh, at uh, what can I say at at the crop. Uh, yeah regarding to yield and watering and fertilizing uh, making sure that it's all done uh, in the correct way at the correct time um but for what we're doing it's not really uh, necessary of course we have helped customers that it was necessary for 
in regard, for example, in regard to the strawberry uh, project, but uh, other projects as well. But it's not really something that we need in our own own production. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah. Okay, we'll move to my last question. Yeah. What is something that your parents did that you like to pass on to a next generation that you enjoyed that they did, and what is something that you might do differently or something new that they didn't do? Yeah. Um, my parents were always, um, yeah, both my, par uh, both my parents were psychologists and uh, uh, for I think that made my upbringing uh, a little more uh, different uh, and special uh, than, than some other kids perhaps have had. Um, but they were also like uh, they were they were always like uh, trying to motivate me and trying to get me to find my purpose and find something that uh, I really uh, enjoyed doing. Um, and they were both uh, self-employed as well, and I think uh, they kind of paced me into to becoming that as well. Um, and I really liked the the way that they did that uh, for sure. Um, on the other hand. Um, my parents, uh, or especially my dad, was very strict uh, on me, um, and I might not uh, tend to be so strict uh, when, or if I get my own children someday. Um, my, my mother was also is is uh, is handicapped. She's uh, she's blind, and uh, in in that uh, she became blind when I was like four years old, and uh, because of that, I was always uh, doing. Um, doing a little bit extra at the, at home so i wasn't really uh, having the same kinds of uh, liberties that uh, young people my age might have had i had to uh, help from a very young age becoming uh, becoming a part of the of the household uh, chores and uh, um, maybe missed out on some other things because of that but i think it also made me more uh, responsible and and mature so um it was uh, I think it was a blessing in disguise at the moment, but it's made me to who I am today. And I, I wouldn't change it uh, if I could. Yeah. yeah. And it probably gave you a good uh, empathy to actually yeah. understand how other people are feeling. I feel yeah, like sure. whenever you're given that, it's kind of, uh, I guess, uh, you kind of understand or at least look at situations a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's the, uh, that's the, the episode. Yeah. Thank nice. you very much. I feel like I know so much more. Ah, that's good. That's good. That was the the whole point. Yeah. So I'm hoping that uh, it can uh, inspire some change uh, in people and make people uh, think more, uh, think in a different way or think more creatively or maybe change the way that uh, that they work with um, with food or uh, with uh, with their life in general. Um, we hope to, in our company, inspire change in, in what we do. And we also have tried to keep a, a very sustainable approach in regards to how we produce things. We, yeah, we recycle a lot and we have a lot of circular system where we uh, recycle um, raw materials and we, we upcycle produce uh, to, uh, to give it a new life. Um, so, yeah, we try to have a sustainable company for sure. Um, and I, I really hope to uh, to pass that on to some other people. And I, I can see how people uh, loved uh, our way of, of working. So um, I hope that we will uh, inspire some change in some people for the future. Yeah. One, one other note that I, I just got the perspective on since you said that is like you could even 
I, I, you know how some farmers, they can only farm so long outside that mm. they could even take on their own vertical farms inside. If they, let's say they yeah. want to farm, you know, like the whole year, they can yeah. start doing it inside uh, yeah. when they have to come in when it gets too cold or, you know, yeah. it's, it's a winter season. Um, and is there anything, uh, you guys are working on, you want to kind of put out there on the podcast? Yeah, no, I would say that, the um, uh, traditional farmers could definitely also benefit from uh, vertical farming. Uh, you could, um, start uh, germinating at the precise moment and be uh, very sure that you don't have any fluctuations in your, uh, in your growing schedule um, so people uh, seeking inspiration or one consulting uh, we also have a, a youtube channel that you can go in and see how we do a lot of different things it's called vertical greens um, and um, vertical farming just provides stability so um, that is one of the the key factors for it becoming a success in the future and it, it definitely will because it makes a lot of sense in the highly dense populated area. For example, New York, I'm pretty sure that there are some vertical farming in New Jersey, for example, um, and other places as well where it will become, um, where there is a heavy demand for having fresh uh, produce uh, supplied within the city. It just makes sense to make it in the city uh, rather than having it uh, transported all the way. Um, and, uh, also in, in areas where it's uh, uh, very tough to grow produce. For example, uh, in the future, we will have very large areas that will either become too cold or too hot to grow produce uh, at, a, at a stable rate. And vertical farming just uh, ensures uh, quality and stability in that yeah. regard as well. No, that's great. And I'll, I'll link that uh, YouTube channel when I, when I drop this episode, people listening yeah, sure. can look at that as well. But yeah, thanks again for for doing this. I think yeah, no worries. I think this is probably I did a time zone in Dubai, but this is maybe one of the the biggest time changes I think I've done. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, thanks again. And yeah, you it was a pleasure. This was great. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.